what can I do? Another war begins before the last one has ended. It feels like there's something in the air. Another financial crisis. Inflation and interest rates continue to rise. Groceries and utilities continue to get more expensive and wages aren't rising to meet them. Another protest and demonstration. Everyone seems to be shouting and no one seems to be listening. Both sides yelling past one another and the chasm between only seems to grow. Another election cycle is upon us. Politicians making promises to fix the mess that our world is in and people are choosing their gladiator for the fight. Another scandal. Someone, someone else with money and power has abused it and they leave behind them a trail of human wreckage and they submit to their lawyer and PR department an approved apology from the safety of their beach house. Another church closes its doors. A place that was once teeming with life can no longer keep the lights on, and the dream of a city changed dies with it. We run from these realities because we aren't exactly sure what we can do about them. What can I do? In order to answer this question, it is important that all of our cards are on the table. And what I mean by that is that we name the moment we find ourselves in. And in many of my conversations with people of our church, the felt experience is that of being overwhelmed, powerless, afraid, and exhausted. First, overwhelmed. Some of you have walked in this morning, and if you're honest, you're just trying to catch your breath. You avoid conversations about all of these looming topics because, frankly, you already have too much going on as it is. You feel yourself being tossed back and forth by the various realities of life in 2023. And if you are honest, the Sunday gathering, this moment right here, is the only time you have to tend to your soul. And the day you walk through the doors, the guy up at the front is talking about all the very things you've been trying to avoid all week. And so your plate already full, you are exhausted, and all of this revival stuff sounds great, but you're just trying to make it to the next day. If this is you, do me a favor and take a deep breath. My aim today is not to give you something else to hold while you're already drowning, but my aim is to tether you to hope and bring you into a place of peace. Others of you feel powerless. You survey the cultural landscape and everything feels out of your reach. You wonder, what on earth could I do about any of these things? It seems that everything is at the whim and will of people in high places with great influence, and you feel like a whisper and a cacophony of noise. If this is you, do me a favor. Take a deep breath. My aim today is not to place on your shoulders the weight of the world, but to remind you that every great tree begins as a small seed. You don't have to do something about everything in the world, but you have an opportunity before you to do something about your world. Others of you are afraid. Our world is changing, and it's changing at a dangerously fast pace. 
This untenable speed of change has left many disoriented and terrified of the future. And often this fear lends itself to self-preservation. The goal shifts from architecting the future to surviving the present. And these fears aren't merely shadows. There's real concern behind them. This posture of fear is changing the way you think about everything. You worry of what the future will be like for the ones you love. And I want to tell you, I understand. But if you'll do me a favor, take a deep breath. My aim today is not to confirm your worst fears, but to remind you of the one you are loved by. And as your eyes meet his again, love will replace the grip of fear, and you will begin to dream again. Others of you are exhausted. Some of you have come in this morning and you're tired, and you're tired of being tired. You have been burning the candle at both ends, and you worry that you might soon burn out. The frenetic pace at which you've been living your life is keeping you from actually living. You race from one thing to another, never feeling like you have any time, but somehow, in the space between things, you find yourself running from boredom. You are both busy and bored at the exact same time. If this is you, do me a favor, take a deep breath. My aim is not to add something to your already busy life, but to invite you into a place of rest and belonging. Still, the question remains, what can I do? I'm aware of the world we live in. I'm aware of our cultural landscape. I'm aware that two-thirds of churches in the U.S. are declining or becoming stagnant. And I'm aware that many of you feel overwhelmed, powerless, afraid, and exhausted. All of those cards are on the table. But as I told you, in order to answer the question, what am I to do, we need all of the cards on the table. And there's one hand we're forgetting about. And in keeping with this card-playing metaphor, it's an ace in the hole. In the mist of darkness, a light dawns. In the midst of a chaos, a peace emerges. In the midst of decline, a renewal begins. In the midst of death, a resurrection springs forth. In the midst of despair, a hope awakens. In the midst of resignation, dreams are restored. And in the midst of empires, a kingdom advances. Today, we are in our final message in our fall vision series entitled, In Your Midst. As a community, we've been on a journey, a journey that is calling us to notice and celebrate the areas where God is moving among us and to respond to the areas where God is inviting us into. And here have been those invitations. First, to see the kingdom as a seed. Second, to see the kingdom is born in the secret place. And third, to see that the kingdom is marked by generosity. And today, here's the invitation. To see the kingdom is in your midst. Now, this series was born out of a scene from the life of Jesus. Jesus had been preaching and teaching about the reality of what he called the kingdom of God. That this kingdom that all, of his, all his hearers would have been looking for and longing after, and one, if we're honest, that we look to and long after as well. He was speaking about this, this longing and touching on that. 
Now, to the common spectator and to the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they didn't see the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. They heard him talk about loving enemies and caring for the poor, and they saw him heal disease and restore the broken and feed the hungry. But the kingdom that Jesus was bringing in their eyes was quite underwhelming. Luke 17 says this, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The religious leaders of Jesus' day missed the king and the kingdom because it did not look like what they had expected. The kingdom did not look like power, prestige, acclaim, or dominance. The kingdom looked like marginalized, the poor, the forgotten, and the humble. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God came disguised as unremarkably ordinary life. Jesus said that the kingdom would not be observable, not because it's not there, but because its presence appears rather common. So common, they missed it. The kingdom was already in their midst. The heart for this series was to notice and celebrate what God is doing and respond to his invitation so that we do not miss the kingdom in our midst. And in order for us not to miss the unexpected kingdom, we must posture ourselves in worship. And this brings us to Psalm 33. Now, today's sermon and this whole sermon series was born out of um, this passage in Luke. But it began as a seed in the Psalms. I feel like every year, my fall vision series are always centered around a psalm. Last year was Psalm 132, which if you had asked me in 2022, what's your favorite psalm? Hands down, 132. And this year, it was Psalm 33. Ask me a year from now, I'll have a different answer for you, I'm sure. But right now, Psalm 33 is what's stirring my heart. In reflecting on it, I think that God begins to stir things in us in their seed form And often, we're unable to name them at the time. But as time goes on, God waters and tends that seed. And when it surfaces, we're able to name it. Now, I've read Psalm 33 a ton of times in my life. And earlier this year, I came to Psalm 33. I don't know if you've had these moments, but where it feels like the scriptures come alive. And you're like, this has been here the whole time? You know what I'm saying? Like, where has this been? I, I must have come across this before. But suddenly it appears new and fresh. And in that moment, God was pouring into my heart through his word. Now, we could do an entire sermon series on Psalm 33, and there are no promises I won't. But for today, I just want to highlight a few things. Now, a quick note on the Psalms. The Psalms were worship and prayer literature for the people of God. They were songs for the journey of faith. They were designed to realign our hearts with the stories we find ourselves in and lead us in the place of worship. Tim Mackey says this, The Psalms are a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. This is why, for us to see the kingdom in our midst, we must come through 
the ancient path of worship. And so with our time remaining, I want to lead us through four movements. Through this psalm, remember his faithfulness, rejoice in his victory, reclaim his heart, respond to his invitation. These are the movements of worship through the psalm. Psalm 33 verse 4 says this, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. By nature, I'm not a nostalgic person, just not my disposition. I'm uh, really terrible at taking photos. I get rebuked by my wife very often for not capturing sweet, precious moments. She yells at me, take a picture. (laughs) And so I'm always having to come and pull out my phone. For several years, I only had like 200 photos in my phone, and I've had it for several years. So it's kind of a problem. My wife is the picture taker of our family. Now, I tend to be a more future-oriented person. And so this is definitely an area I'm trying to grow in, is becoming better about capturing moments and becoming nostalgic and looking back in the past. I'm the kind of person to where, like, if I wrote something down in the journal, I'm never going back to reading it. It's like, that's gone behind me now, you know? And so growing in this ability to look back and to remember has been a challenge for me. But this, the way that we notice where God is moving and how we respond to where he's inviting us is by first remembering what he's done in the past. Now, a few months ago, I entered into a moment of where I wanted to reflect back on our journey as a church. And so I went back through my photo album, not many of them, but the ones that I did have, and created an album of photos from different periods in the life of our church. And as I did this, my heart was moved to celebration and worship. And I want to give you a glimpse into each of those, and as I do, I want to retell the story of our church. At this time, seven years ago, Celeste and I were in one of the hardest seasons of our lives. Together with Jake and Ashley, we strengthened ourselves in the Lord. We had gone through a really messy departure from our last community of faith, and we were stressed out, burnt out, and wounded. And in all of that, we held on to a dream. We dreamed of a church that we longed for. Our dream was of a community of followers of Jesus who, a, community of, a community of followers of Jesus who was geared towards those who are far from Jesus and those who are wounded by the church. And so after six months of praying and recovering, Zion was born. Stage one, life in the living room. Low quality photo, I apologize. Your boy was the photographer and it was bad iPhones back then, so give us grace. You'll see as we go along when the church got a professional photographer involved, very clear. But anyways, God brought us the very kind of people we prayed for. All we had was a vision and a name, but God in his kindness brought us the lost and the hurting. In my living room, week in and week out, what was once a dream became a seed. There in that living room, some of the most beautiful stories began to be written. Some of those very people here in the room with us today. And quickly, we began to realize we were outgrowing my living room fast and we needed another space to meet. So came stage two, becoming a church in a borrowed building. In his faithfulness, God provided through generosity a space for us to gather as a people as we became a church. 
And I want to just pause right now, and I need to honor and thank the people and leadership of Community Bible Church who opened their doors for us and gave us a home for six months as we began to discover the kind of church that we would become. It was in meeting, this, meeting in this building that culture began to become, uh, become a reality. And it was here that the foundational ideas and values that our church is built upon today were etched in cement and we would begin to become a church. Stage three, launch Sunday. Now, due to not having a space and working on Sundays, we, were, we had to meet on Thursday nights for a little over a year of the church plant. But God was beginning to build a team who would lead Zion into her future. In his faithfulness, uh, he provided a space for us to meet and a way for us to meet on Sundays. And so July 14th, 2019, we had our very first Sunday gathering. And this time, God provided for every need we had. We brought in, he brought in key families who are now pillars, in the, in, uh, pillars at the core of our church. And we were portable in this time, which meant we were gritty, and everybody had to wear a thousand hats. Everything from learning how to back up a tiny little trailer into the train station area. We did kids' ministry essentially in a closet. Don't let anyone tell you different. It was a glorified closet that our kiddos were doing ministry in. We were setting up and tearing down a sound system week in and week out. We were trying to learn the art of packing that small trailer every single week. We were church planting with newborns. And so that season formed in us perseverance. But then, like the rest of the world, we moved into stage four, which was the shutdown. Then came March 2020. I'm driving in my truck as I'm going to a job site, and I get a call. And the call essentially goes, effective immediately, we no longer have a space to meet. And we're not even sure if we're going to meet again. We started uh, with the expectation of two weeks. Two weeks became two months. Two months became there's no end in sight. I remember preaching in my office to Calgary, just me and him in the room, and an iPhone. And so grace on Calgary for sitting through all of those. Um, it also looked like I was a hostage because of the background that we had behind us. It was rough. We were not ready for live stream, okay? Be gracious. Don't go back on the YouTube and look at them. They're, they're rough. Cal did the best that he could, but there was a white sheet behind me. It looked scary. But that's what we did. But it became quick that we knew that this is, if this was our future, we weren't going to last much longer. So as a leadership team, we came together. And honestly, we were discouraged and we were doubtful. But we prayed. We said, either we call it and move on, or God makes a way. So we prayed, and the Lord provided. Stage five, relaunch. One day, after work, I'm driving home, and on my way home, I pass by this very building. Now, there had been a four lease sign on the door for quite some time, and several months before I had called, and I said, how much are you looking for for that space? And he responded with a number we most certainly could not afford way out of our price range. And so I said, thank you for your time, have a good day, <laughs> and hung up the phone. Well, in con conversing with some of our leaders, and as I drove by again, I thought, who, who, you know, who knows? Make a meeting, we'll see what happens. And so I did. I made a meeting with the landlord here. What could it hurt just to see the place and see what could happen? And I, when I walked in, this building was not in good shape at all, at all. 
It was rough to say the least. I didn't put any pictures of how bad it was. Yeah, the building was blue before we got here. There was also a mural of like an ocean by the front door. Why? I'm not sure, but someone decided to paint that mural. It was rough. And there's a group of us kind of behind the scenes as we come to pray over the building the night that we got the keys. And so building was not in good shape at all, but we came to an agreement, a price much lower than he wanted, but still a price we could not afford. And so with a whole lot of work ahead of us and a building we could not afford, we built the house. And God showed up, and he met every single need our church had, and now we are gathered in that space, which leads us to stage six, what I titled Momentum. Over the next two years, we gained momentum as a church. Our family began to grow, and many more people were being woven into the story of our church. We baptized people who had come to faith. We celebrated those whose zeal for the Lord had returned, and we rejoiced in newborns and new marriages. And God began to breathe life on the thing he had relaunched. And in that time, the church was able to bring me on staff and serve our community and love my family well. Which leads us to stage seven, ordinary radicals. Last year, God invited us as a community to become a house of prayer. We said we were going to cash all of our chips on prayer. And so a back empty room, which was nothing, became a prayer room through your generosity. And in that room, people have encountered Jesus. What was told to us is that prayer room would become coals for our church that would set aflame all that God was going to do, and that word is coming to pass. We stand today on the fruit of the prayers prayed in that very room. And I hope that as I retell this story, you can see it too. He is faithful in all he does. And so as we look out into our cultural landscape, as we look into our own lives, here's the word. He is faithful in all he does. God has brought our church here today. He will surely carry us into the future. Psalm 33.10 says this, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. God is up to something absolutely beautiful. You can look around and see all the decline, or you could reframe your perspective and look around and see opportunity. Here's what we're experiencing right now. The secular script is failing. It's failing. It's failing to provide people purpose and understanding for, for the chaos that is our lives. I was reading an article recently about a famous atheist woman who has just proclaimed her faith in Jesus, and her response to why was that secularism never gave her answers for life's deepest questions. And so she says, I still have a lot to, to learn about Jesus and Christianity, but here's what I know. It's a better answer. This is what we're experiencing right now. In many ways, the the... The consequences, the, the, you know, the, the ripple effect of secularism is bearing its fruit. It's revealing itself for what it actually is. It's smoke and mirrors. It's false promises. There's nothing really behind those things. And so in the midst of all of this, it can be easy to look at the social landscape and think we're losing. To ask the question the Pharisees asked, where's the kingdom? You keep talking about it. You keep saying it's coming, but where? 
Remember, they missed it because it was disguised as ordinary life. It was disguised as regular, everyday moments that the kingdom was breaking in. It was so common, they missed it. And so here's the thing. Brothers and sisters, empires will rise and will fall, but the kingdom of God will stand forever. I realize that it's easy to look at the moment, and here's a common refrain I hear. The world is getting worse. Kind of true, also kind of not true. History for us may be getting a lot worse, but what about the rest of the world for all of time? Things aren't that bad. Like, let's just put this in a little bit of global perspective, right? John made reference to kings chopping people's heads off. That's not happening right now in America, right? That's at least a positive. Um, a, a lot of other things. Right now, we have brothers and sisters who can't gather all across the world because if they do, they will come under the threat of their government and be martyred, right? In, in church history, we've seen followers of Jesus persevere under great trials. Like our brothers and sisters who lived in the Roman Empire, if it was found out you would be a Christian, you'd be fed to lions. Now we're just the cultural minority. And we say, persecution? No. No. And so I understand the sentiment and that the world's getting worse. I understand that. But that's a very narrow view of history. The world's been pretty bad for a lot of people for a long time. What we're doing is we're being led out of a place of comfort. And we're called to live our faith in the midst of contested space. And it's discomfort you don't like. And so it's important to name that for what it is. And also the underlying idea underneath all of that is this. Kingdoms will rise and fall, but the kingdom of God will, establish, will, will, be, will stand forever. And I love this line. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of peoples. There are people who have given their allegiance to the, the workers of evil, to powers of darkness, to the Satan and his demons. But the Lord will thwart their plans. All throughout the scriptures, all throughout the meta-narrative of the scriptures, it's this, what the enemy means for evil, God uses for what? Good. Wasn't that Joseph's line to his brothers? He says, what you meant to destroy me, for evil to me, God ultimately used for good. When, and, and the clearest picture of this, brothers and sisters, is the cross, the enemy thought it had sunk its teeth into Jesus and had killed the movement, but it was in that very act that it was Jesus' inauguration as king. The very thing the enemies meant to destroy the work of God was actually its beginning place, its rebirth, its relaunch. And so one view of history is to say things are getting worse. There's no hope from here. A better view of history and a biblical view of history is this. Things are ripe with opportunity. That just as the tide recedes, it gains strength to come back again. What we are experiencing in the church in the West is the death of cultural Christianity. There was a time when being a Christian and being American were almost the same thing. That time is coming to an end, and I think it's the best thing possible for the church because when the church buddies up with powers, it loses its potency. 
But when the church is a faithful remnant, it regains the credibility of witness. And that's the moment we find ourselves in. And so you could look at it as we're in this massive decline or this is an opportunity for renewal to break through. The Lord foils the plans of nations and peoples. Those who think they're going to stomp out the work of Jesus. Jesus says this, that the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, most of you are probably familiar with that verse, and you probably think that we're on the defensive in that thing, right? Like hell is storming us, and we better hope these gates hold. Except that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying hell's gates will not remain as the church storms and proclaims territory for the Lord Jesus. That hell's gates aren't strong enough to hold back the permeating kingdom of God. And so for those of you who are living in fear, let me just invite you to see something. The Lord thwarts the plans of nations and the purposes of people. His purposes will be established and his kingdom will reign. And so what looks like death is actually rebirth. What looks like decline is actually opportunity for something new to take place. Now, verse 11 says this, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purpose of his heart, the purposes of his heart through all generations. And so as a community, as we are looking to notice and name where God is moving in our midst, it begins by remembering our story. It looks like rejoicing in his victory because Jesus has already overcome all of his enemies. And next, it looks like us reclaiming his heart. The biblical story is always that we are up against all odds. I said, lay all the cards on the table, and it seems like everybody's cards is better than ours, but we have an ace in the hole. God is doing something in our midst. Now, when I read this verse, it, it speaks to a deep longing we have as a church, and it's this. We don't want Zion to be a flash in the pan. We don't want Zion to just be this thing that happened that one time, that one day they closed their doors and they moved on. Our vision is to build a place for his presence for generations to come. That we would be a house that, is, that, that seeks his purposes in all all generations. That though Zion may eventually change its name and change its logo, move buildings and do something different, be different leaders who lead here from the stage, the heart would remain the same. That God's work through this people for this community would persevere. And so in the midst of all of these things, we feel the Lord inviting us to stand firm and to keep taking ground because the kingdom is already in our midst. Jesus is not inviting us to do something new. He's inviting us to partner with him in what he's already doing. You realize today that we are living in the prayers of the people who went before us. That Zion is the birth of prayers far before it. We're just joining in the story. And we want to carry this season, this baton, well into the future. And so our heart is that God's purposes would be accomplished in all generations, in Los Lunes as it is in heaven. God's desire is to move here. I tell you all these stories about revival, not just to maybe stir some emotionalism, but to remind you of a very simple truth. 
God works in unexpected places with unexpected people. You only know about any of the names from any of these places because of what God has done there. It's not like Nazareth was ever on your, on your radar. You know, no one was just looking for Nazareth somewhere or Hernhut or the, uh, with the Moravian community or wherever. You pick your spot where God moved. Nobody was looking at that place to be a hub of revival, but God works in these places. And guess what? Los Lunas, Valencia County, is a prime place for God to move. It's in the margins. When I go, you go places and you have to tell people where you're from. First, it begins with New Mexico, which they think is a part of old Mexico for some reason. You have to explain, no, we're actually a part of the states. And then you speak English really well. Yeah, been a part of the union for some time, right? So there's that. Secondly, like, where at in Los Lunas? And you're like, Los, where at in New Mexico? And you're like, Los Lunas, where? How do you say that? South of Albuquerque. And the first thing out of their mouth is, oh, Breaking Bad. We're known for drugs and cartels. And that's what we're known for, right? But what if, what if the reputation of our city became the place where God's presence dwells? What if our city became a hub for renewal for our state and for our nation and for our time? Wouldn't it be like God to choose a bunch of misfits in the middle of nowhere to bring about his purposes for all generations. And I just want to invite you to see that and say yes, because God is always looking for those who are looking for him. He shows up where he's wanted. And if we become a people marked by hunger, God will meet us with blessing of his presence. But the ball's in our court. What kind of church will we become? And so lastly, we move into responding to his invitation. I wouldn't normally share this, but I feel, I feel an invitation from the Spirit to share this because I think it, it's going to catalyze what I'm about to get into. Every Sunday morning, we do a pre-gathering prayer. And this is a time where we just seek the Lord's face before we gather together as a community, got a sense for what the Spirit is speaking and in one of the sections that we pray, we pray for intercession. Now, when the year first began, I would just pray whatever I felt was in my heart at the time. But early on in the year, in January, I just asked the Lord, how do you want me to pray here? What are the invitations here? And he gave me three words. He said, presence, people, and provision. So for the whole year, I've been praying that same prayer into those three realities. It looked different every time. It sounded different every time, but that was the movement. To be honest, around June, I was bored. <laughs> I was like, give me three new words. Nope, presence, provision, people. I want to share those prayers with you now. The first is this, pursuing his presence through prayer. This was the invitation I felt for our church moving into the new year and one that began as a seed form all throughout the year and I think is becoming now an invitation for our church in the new year. So this is the worst kept secret in all of human history, but we've acquired the building next door, this little space here. It was supposed to be a secret. That went terrible. I know I can't trust y'all and keep it secrets now. No, I'm just kidding, but all jokes. But we've acquired that space over there. Um, and a part of the negotiations, we got it for the same exact price we have this, thing, this space for, and we have it for the year. We'll see where we go from there. But last year, I called upon our community, rain it sounds like, I called upon our community to build this prayer room 
And here's the really exciting thing. We've outgrown it. Tuesday mornings, it's a tight squeeze. You're doing a lot of apologizing, a lot of shimming past people, right? We've outgrown it. That space is 200 square feet bigger. So here's our vision. That would become our new prayer room. Now, there's super pragmatic things to that. One, it's freezing cold in here, so when you have to scurry to the bathroom, that's a rough time. Um, Also, scurrying through the dark sanctuary in the middle of prayer room, it's a rough time. That space has its own bathroom, so that works too. And as a front entrance, I feel super bad for all the people driving in the middle of the dark through the sketchy gate behind the back of the church. You won't have to do that anymore. Primarily the T-front parking right there will be great. There's a lot of very pragmatic reasons. It's bigger, the bathrooms, the front entrance, but... But I think here's the heart. God is asking us to double down in prayer. He's met what we said yes to, and he says, I want to give more increase. And here's the ultimate vision. The ultimate vision is that becomes a hub for the community. That becomes a prayer room for the entire community to come and to seek the face of Jesus. And that we would birth a movement of prayer out of Zion. And so in 2024, the invitation is to pursue his presence through prayer. Which leads us to the second part of that, which is in 2024, we want to do a 24-7 prayer. Um, We're working the logistics of all that out, but here's what we want. We want for a week to pray every hour on the hour for seven days within our community. That is absolutely feasible with the people that we have here in the room. Each of us taking a couple of hours to do that, but every hour on the hour. And when that prayer room is open, it'll be much easier to accommodate that desire. And so that's what we're looking forward to in the future is to do a week of, of unbroken prayer for our community and to see what kind of fruit that that bears. Also in that, we're planning in 2024 to begin doing worship and prayer nights. Nights where we come and just seek the face of Jesus and we accompany prayer with worship. We're doing a beautiful job at the contemplative meeting with Jesus. We want to enter into the, 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 the other wing of that, which is the charismatic, the, the moving in the terms of worship and prayer and how those blend together with the spiritual gifts, etc. So we will have those things coming forth in the future um, with more details to come. But first, the invitation is to pursue his presence through prayer. Second is to grow our family through invitation. There's a strong call for us to begin to invite others into what God is doing here. There's been some gatekeeping happening here, right? It's like, this is really good. I love this community. I'm not going to invite other people into this because it's really sweet. Now, now, if we get more people, to get ruined. That's kind of the hard posture, right? And there's some people who are like, I love small churches because big churches stink when all these people get involved. And it's like, well, that's any church. But here's the invitation I feel for us, that God wants to expand our family, and he wants to do it through invitation, not through promotion or marketing, but through relational invitation, people you knew know inviting into the story that God is writing through Zion. And that is a, a culture that we have to live into. That's not done from the stage. It's not done from our social media. It's done with you in, the, in your life with people you love, inviting them into this space to come and to see what God is up to here. In my, mor- in my prayer, in the pre-gathering prayer, there's always two people that God placed on my heart, the hungry and the hurting. I said, God, send us the hungry and the hurting. First, the hungry. Those who are looking for you but have no idea they're looking for you yet. That they're looking for you in all sorts of other things. And they find themselves with a longing that can't be satisfied. And they say, Jesus, send them here that they may taste of living water and leave satisfied. And the second half of those are those who are wholeheartedly after God's presence. Here's what I think God is doing in this receding back of the tide. God is setting apart for him a remnant who is really hungry for him. And what God wants to do is to gather the hungry to seek his face. And so I'm saying, Lord, those in our community who aren't 
apathetic and resigning our culture to the moment that is, but says, yes, Lord, we believe you for a move here and now that God would send them to this place so we could gather the hungry to seek his face. And the second is the hurting. We still have a heart for those who have been hurt by the church, and many have been, and our desire is to love them to health, is to let them rest and find healing and restoration for them souls, and also to reach those who are far from Jesus. Our favorite people are the ones who think they'll never believe in Jesus. Those are our favorite people around here because it's, like, it's a matter of time, man. Jesus is so beautiful and compelling. Good luck resisting him for the long haul. And so that's our heart, and that's who we're praying that God would send here as we, as we grow our family through invitation. And lastly, is to seed the future through generosity. So in the conclusion of this series, we are opening up what we're calling the In Your Midst Giving Campaign, where here's what we want to do. In order to accomplish all that God has put in our heart, it's going to require resources. It's going to require generosity on our church's end. And so we believe... Um, Throughout the scriptures, it teaches that what you sow, you reap, and we want to sow into the future mightily, and so that's going to require sacrifice from us, and so now on the giving page, if you go, there should be a tab there that's the In Your Midst Giving Campaign, and so what we want to do is now into the end of the year, sprint to increase in generosity to sow into the future for all God has for us in 2024. We acquired that space next door in faith, believing that God was going to begin to provide resources for us to meet all the needs that we're going to have over there. For those of you who have not seen what it was like before, it was a nightmare, legitimately a nightmare, and already some incredible work is being done to turn that place around. And so huge part of that would be going to that also is we want to be a church for all generations, and that begins with the generations that are in our hands now, and that begins with the very kids in those back rooms. We want to invest in our niños. Our leaders are incredible back there. They don't even hear us talking about this right now. They are just faithfully serving our community through loving and caring for kids. And they do it with almost zero budget. Scrappy. They're making crafts. They're doing whatever it is they can. They are improvising. They're the most creative people I know. Because like, here's $6. Do with it what you can. And they stretch it. And so here's what we want to say. If we want to be a church that's for all generations, we need to start sowing into the next one. And so we just want to start pouring things into that ministry, both in terms of resources, such as curriculum and things of that nature, and also in terms of aesthetic. They have just white walls out there, and kids' stuff is decorated the walls, and we want to begin to move towards painting and architecting that space to be a beautiful space that's welcoming for families and welcoming for kids and an environment where they can learn about Jesus. We want to raise up a generation of passionate Jesus followers, and to do that takes resources. It takes generosity. Now, the third thing in terms of increasing through generosity is we want to live the liturgy, as I talked about last week. We want no needy person among us to be our anthem, to be our cry, to be the reputation in the city. And so what we're going to be opening up is a mission and justice fund. Here's our goal. That as a community, we would give above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings to provide for the needs of our church. Real practical needs. This mission and justice fund will not just be finances, but eventually will be services as well. We'll, we'll be able to provide lawn care, babysitting services, things of that nature, so that there could be no needy person among us. But it's also including finances. We believe the words of the scriptures where James says that if somebody comes to you hungry, don't say be warm and be filled, but to feed them. We want to meet practical needs. 
And there are needs right now in our community. And where our church is at in terms of its budget, we have to increase in our generosity in order to live that out. It's going to require more of us to be able to live that out. And so that's the invitation for us. What would it be like if our reputation in the city was there's no person who goes into that space that does not have all of their needs met? It's going to require sacrifice from us. And so those are the three things. And so here's what I want to say, very candidly behind the scenes. We can only plan through consistent giving, period. We can only make plans by based on what's, what's coming in. I want you to imagine your world for a second. And if you had no idea what your next paycheck was going to be, it could be a lot, it could be a little, you had no idea, how would that change your planning? Pretty drastically, right, if you had no idea what was coming in. That's what it's like for a church as well. We plan based off of people who give consistently, and so the, the way that gets paid forward for the future is through consistent generosity, is through making giving a part of your life. And so... I know this first time people here. I'm so sorry you're here for this talk. We love you. The regular sermons will be back soon. But this is a family conversation. The way that we can architect the future is through consistent giving now. That lets us know what will be coming in in the future months so we can plan according to that. We have had multiple dreams in our heart that we have not been able to do just because we haven't been able to have the finances in for that. And so we want to ask our community to do this. Now, again, this is not giving by compulsion. Hear me in this. Do not say, because I'm saying this, this is, oh, and now the special offering goes out and we're seeing it. None of that at all. Giving's between you and the Lord. That we're wholehearted about that. But we will always invite. We will always invite you to participate in what God's doing here because we believe in it so much. And so if you pray and the Lord says, don't give them a dime, don't give us a dime. But if you pray and the Lord asks you to begin to sow into what God is doing here, I'd ask you to obey what the Lord is saying. But uh, the invitation is this, just pray, just pray. And so here are simple invitations. One, there are those even in the room who aren't giving at all right now. The next step for you would begin to begin to start giving. Whatever that looks like, whatever you can, that's the invitation. The second invitation is there are those of you who give really sporadically right now. The invitation is for you to begin to give consistently to be in so inconsistent areas so we can plan and architect and meet the needs of our city and do all these beautiful things we have in store. Third, there are those of you who give consistently, and I want to invite you to give sacrificially, to give above and beyond now at the end of the year to sow into the things in the future to the In Your Mist giving campaign. And so, the Lord foils the plans of nations. He thwarts the purposes of peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. At the beginning of our series, you got this bad boy. You can't see it right now, but it's a little mustard seed inside of here. Who still has their mustard seed? Most of you. Nice. Some of you have lost it. No worries. There's a few extra in the back, but you better get there soon because they will be gone. Here's what I want to invite you to do. As you carry your mustard seed with you through the end of the year, begin asking God how he wants you to partner in this. How he wants you to partner in pursuing his presence through prayer, in um, growing our family through invitation, and lastly, seeding the future through generosity. And whatever it is you bring to the table may look really small in the grand scheme of things, but will, make great, will affect great change. Back to our original question, what can I do? The invitation is simple. Partner with God in what he's already doing. Partner with God in what he's already doing. Here's the invitation. Say yes to those things. 
Say yes to pursuing his presence through prayer. Say yes to growing through our family through invitation. And say yes to seeding the future through generosity. Let us pray. God, we come before you now. And we just want what you want, Lord. All of our plans are in pencil. But here's what we know, Lord. You provide for the work. You are faithful in all that you do. And God, as we move into a time of response, I pray that you would lead us to obey your voice, to hear what you say, Lord, and to respond. So God, we ask that you come and move in our midst now. In Jesus' name.